Okay. Uh, so we thank all of our sponsors. First and foremost, we thank that Jonathan and Tamar Miller sponsored the whole series in memory of Ted and Pauline Miller's Zichronom Levracha. Thank you very much for the sponsorship. Uh, we also thank the Aron family, uh, sponsored on their 20th wedding anniversary. Uh, we thank Anonymous for the Rafush Lema of Chole Israel. We thank the Avrahams for cel- celebrating a year fulfilling the mitzvah Yishuv Haaretz. Thank the Brooks, sponsoring in memory of Joe's mother on her 10th yard site. We thank the Eisens, sponsoring in memory of Brent's mother on her 15th yard site. And Anonymous, in honor of a miracle that saved the life of a member of Shirat David. Unbelievable. Um, and we thank Ashira and Svi Edelman, who sponsored in memory of Svi's father, uh, Asher ben Esther of Pesach, Zechrona Levracha, the first yard site on the 26th of Adar, and in their honor of their son Uriel, who's drafting to the army this week. Wow. Should be safe. Uh, and Helene and David Brenner, in memory of David's father, Yitzhak ben Nachman, Zechrona Levracha, whose yard site's on the 28th of Adar. And uh, really thank all of our sponsors always. Okay. So... Sure. Is before. Before. So this is all very interesting, right? Meaning, there's Shaul is still very much the king of Israel, and and Shmuel, who's nervous about Shaul finding anything out, he comes up with a whole explanation for, you know, he, like a whole cover story for why it is that he's going to Beit Lechem. He came to our neighborhood, right? Hashem said, go to Beit Lechem. That's where you're going to find the guy, the next guy. Um, and he goes through all these sons and he finally, he settles on David. That's the one, right? The, the Shem and Hamishka starts boiling, <laughs> bubbling, you know, r- r- waiting to jump out on David's head. Uh, and, and then he leaves in one of the more awkward moments of all time. Right. I think it's, it's uh, surprising that he had so much fear of Shaul when Shaul basically saw him as his spiritual leader, guide, guide did everything for him, made him king. It's true, but if you remember what happened, you know, when they last saw each other after the battle with Amalek, yeah. Shmuel said some very harsh and angry mm-hmm. things. He said that God is disgusted with you and you'll never see me again. So I mean, he said some, I, you know. Shaul's they broke up. Uh, they broke up. It was a bad situation. It's a bad situation. Now, I thought maybe you'd go a different direction if you skip ahead to chapter 19, which is way in the future. Um, but there, you know, we see that Shaul, when he comes looking for Shmuel, has no power because Shmuel, you know, is a prophet. And, when he, and when, once Shaul comes in his orbit, he just, he gets like hit by the prophecy uh, force and he's overwhelmed. And, and so he has, he, the physical power doesn't really work against Shmuel. But at this moment, it's interesting. At this moment, he, he was afraid. Uh, and then he just picks up and leaves. And that's where we left, where we left everything. Um, and we, we kind of finished with this very important pasuk, this pasuk that, that really defines a lot of what we have to talk about tonight, which is vay, number one here, Vayikach Shmuel at Karen Hashemen. So Shmuel takes the oil, the Karen, which we talked about last week, and he anoints David in, amongst his brothers. And the spirit of Hashem comes upon David. So it's not just this one, you know, a moment of connection, but David at this moment becomes a changed person, right? He's transformed, right? This is the, uh, the changing of the guard. This is the title, right? The force be, what is this? This is really amazing. And then, of course, Shmuel just picks up and leaves. 
And then, as we talked about, Hashem Im Shaul. And correspondingly, in the next Pasuk, the spirit of Hashem departs from Shaul. And this evil spirit of Hashem at this point terrifies him. So it's almost like it leaves Shaul, right? He remember, if we remember way back from when we learned about Shaul and those beautiful early glory days when everything was happy and, and Shaul was, Shmuel was so excited to spend, to see him and to meet him and to guide him, right? This, you know, this incredible, this spirit of prophecy that came down on Shaul and had stayed with him through everything up until this moment, <clears throat> even through all the mistakes and so on, this is the moment where it all changes. And this, right, it's really extraordinary. Um, so this Ruach Hashem that comes to David, says the Radak, Zot Ruach HaGvura Heira Et David Laharogat Ha'ari Ve'hadov. Right, this is the spirit of Gvura that would then, right, meaning David at this point goes back to being a, a shepherd, as we'll talk about. And he, you know, he saves his sheep from lions and bears and rips them apart with his bare hands. Right? Not exactly normal, right? So th- because there's something that has changed in David. The world doesn't know it yet. They will soon. Right? But the world doesn't know it yet, but something beginning at this moment, David is a different person. And it's that same right, koach that he has th- right, that enables him to rip up, sorry, to kill the plishti, to kill Goliath. Right? All of this comes from this new Ruach Hashem, this Ruach HaGvura, and it's also Ruach HaKodesh which is Noldabo Mehayoma Huvamala. Starting at this moment, according to the Radak, this is when David becomes the poet that we know him to be. Others disagree, right? We find that they say that he was already composing. Some of this, some of Tehillim, there seem to be hints to, you know, when he was a young man, completely unknown, anonymous, hated by his brothers, you know, turned away by his father, that he was already composing Tehillim at that point. But at least according to the Radak, it's at this moment from Mehayoma Huvamala, where he says, Shirim mizmorim beruach hakodesh, shenoldavo, right? He's not a prophet, but he, there's a ruach hakodesh, there's a spirit of God that fills him. So it gives him both great strength on the one hand that we see with David, Admoni, right? He's the, uh, he, lo- he, looks, he looks outwardly like Asaf, but he's also Yefei Enayim. So he has the two, he has the beautiful eyes, right? I think corresponding to those two is the ruach hagvura and the ruach hakodesh that he gets at this moment in the changing of the guard. Really kind of a, you know, an amazing, amazing moment. And, uh, there, and it's the beginning of a power shift, meaning Shaul is still in control. Shaul is the king. David is still a shepherd. And yet, this is the moment when the power begins to shift from Shaul to David. Are we meant to understand that only one person can have that gavur at a time? So I would not have thought so, based upon what we learned about Shmuel, that once Shmuel became a navi, Right until that point, it says that the it was yakar that it was like it was very unusual. There was very little prophecy going on, right? Even his holy father Elkanah was just a student of the Nevi'im. He wasn't. There was a it, basically prophecy had become almost extinct. But then when Shmuel became a navi, right, all the before from there say like he exploded the window, like he just it was a tiny little window of, of Hashem's prophecy coming in, and he blew out the wall. All of a sudden, prophecy is flying, and then there's. People all around are getting prophecy and his students are getting prophecy. So one would think that it's not either or. But here, you know, we're, we're not talking about prophets, right? Shaul had a moment of prophecy. But in general, we're talking, I, I don't know, it's something, maybe this is something that's unique and reserved for kings, right? right? This is not standard prophecy. Uh, there's something different going on here. But this power shift, right? And, and this is, I, I've been fascinated because I, I think, and no one has to agree with, agree with anything I say, by the way, ever, 
and certainly not about anything that applies to today. I could be 100% wrong, but I, I feel like it's worthwhile saying these things, even if I'm wrong, because to be that one thing that I know is correct is that we're supposed to be taking what we're learning and trying to, and, and trying to understand its lessons for now. And, and I think that what we're seeing right now, that this, this power shift from, in a sense, from the, from the tribes of Shaul, from the tribes of Yosef, to the tribes of Yehuda, from the more secular part of Israel to the religious part of Israel. It's a massive shift. And it's not just one government or another government. There will always be ups and downs. It doesn't happen all at once. It's just the way of, that the world is going. Um, you, know, you know, if you take out the Arabs, right, the, the majority, a significant majority of Israel is becoming much, much more traditional. Um, and the, when you have the majority of the government is wearing a yarmulke, right, so something has shifted, something has changed in this country that's very, very significant. It's not just politics like other countries. This is, it's, right, it's messianic. When it happens in Israel, it matters much, much more. Um, and I, I, you know, I sense that there's like a, a changing of the guard that's happening here and which is painful and it's not easy. Um, but we'll talk more about it, but I think that, that right, <laughs> hard for everybody, which we'll talk about, but I think that even before the outward political power shift occurred this year, right, there was already a shift that was taking place, you know, behind the scenes, a spiritual shift in terms of where the, the energy of Israel w- was, right, where was the, the leadership coming from, where was, you know, where was the fire and the passion, where was it coming from, it was shifting from one part of Israel to another well before there was any political shift that occurred outwardly. And I, you know, and I think that corresponds to what, we're see, what we see with Shaul and David, right? That there's, it doesn't happen you know, overnight. Eventually the politics you know, ca- catches up. But this Ruach HaGvura was already shifting well before there were any, there were any outward political, political changes. But okay. We'll keep, a, keep an eye on that as, we, as we're thinking about what's going on in our world. I think we're meant to look at it through the prism of, of Tanakh. Now, you know, you know Shmuel is, is, is taking the kingdom from Shaul and giving it to David. Uh, but the Psukim, you know, make clear that he's not happy about it, right? He, he anoints David and then he leaves. There's no sweet words, no beautiful words, no smiling, no laughing, no joy. He just picks up and he leaves. And if you compare that, if you look at number three, right, when he poured the oil on Shaul's head back in the 10th chapter, right, right, and he kisses him and he says, that Hashem has appointed you to be a prince over his inheritance. We don't find any of this when it comes to David, right? And then we find here, right, at the beginning of the, the chapter that we looked at last week, but that, that after this whole breakup with Shaul, right, um, Hashem says to Shmuel, right, how long are you going to mourn for Shaul? Right? He's mourning for him. He's, right, he's in pain. He's suffering. Right? There, it's love. It's pain. It's anger. Um, right? He's so angry at Shaul because he loved him so much. Right? Shaul was Shmuel's king. David was not. Right? When, when it comes to, to who he really felt connected to and who he loved. You know, but Hashem, you know, Hashem says to Shmuel you know, that I understand your pain. It is sad that Shaul failed, but it's also time to move on. Right? Am Yisrael is ready for something greater. That's what he says in this Pasuk. Right? I've, rejected, I've rejected Shaul. Now get up and fill your horn with oil, your karen with oil, and go and anoint somebody new. 
so, so I, you know, thinking of this in, in, in along the lines of what we were saying before, right, they may not use these words, but I think that a part of our people are in mourning over the, over Shaul, over the old Israel that Shaul represents, right? The, the secular Israel of the kibbutzim, the idealism that gave so many Jews the strength to sacrifice everything, right? The Jews who drained the swamps, how many of them died, right? These were, this is the world of Shaul, which we have to be, you know, incredibly thankful for and appreciate, right? We don't, we don't look upon them with scorn. That's not our derech, right? But to a great degree, this old Israel, it doesn't exist anymore in the sense that the old Shaul didn't exist. We, have, we still have Shaul in his physical body, right? Shaul is still here. He's still the same man, technically, but he's not the Shaul that existed back in chapter 10. This is not the same man, not the same person that, that so overwhelmed one of the greatest prophets in history that he bent over. He just kissed him and he was so overwhelmed. He was like, Shmuel was like a teenage girl with the Beatles, right? You know, like with, with Shaul, he was so excited, right? But that Shaul doesn't exist anymore, right? What's left is a, is a shell, right? We have the grandchildren of those people, of those original Chalutzim, Right, who've become you know, self-doubting and confused and lost. Right? They don't have the idealism anymore. It's more about right, fun and pleasure and right, taking trips out of Israel <laughs> as much as possible. Um, you know, and, and, and some of them, sadly, have even fallen into that whole self-hatred, that whole Haaretz you know, craziness that we find. Right? Meaning from Ben-Gurion to today is Shaul the first to Shaul the second. Right? It, it's, a, it's a massive, massive shift, and it's a very, very painful one. Um, and yet, Hashem tells us, right? Hashem tells Shmuel, and he's telling all of us, that history doesn't, doesn't stop because we're sad, right? That, that this old Israel doesn't exist. History doesn't stop. We've got to move on. Um, and there's a lot to accomplish. So yes, it's appropriate to mourn the downfall of the old Israel, and I think we should do that, right? For all, which, for all of its faults, accomplished unbelievable miracles here as Hashem's messengers. And right? we shouldn't lose sight of what the generations of uh, Mashiach ben Yosef accomplished here. Right? I would imagine that the majority of the, of the paratroopers who stormed the old city as the Jordanians were shooting sniper fire down upon them, the majority of them were probably secular kibbutzniks, right, is my guess. Right? Not all, right? it was a mix, but I, the majority of them were Shaul. Um, and yet, it, you know, that world doesn't exist anymore, sadly. Right? It's time to move on. So I understand your mourning, but the Jewish people are primed for greatness. Right? Shmuel, at this point, doesn't see what's going to happen yet with David. Maybe he doesn't know, right? He can't, just a few chapters away, we, we're going to see a glory that we haven't seen until this moment. Um, but it's likely that there's, that there's more to Shmuel's strange behavior than, than just mourning over Shaul, right? He's a Navi, and he sees a lot of darkness ahead for David HaMelech. Uh, so if you look at number five of Yoshua uh, Bachrach, he writes here, Ki me'ayoma Right, from this day on, there's going to be a tremendous jealousy, a painful, a very difficult jealousy. Right, they're going to be chasing him to try to kill him for who knows how long. It's unbelievable what goes on. The rest of Shmuel Aleph, right, until Shaul, really until the very end, until Shaul dies in battle. And Shmuel maybe knows and sees, we don't know exactly, what happens even further into Shmuel Bet, the rest of David's life, that even afterwards, right, he's plagued by one suffering and pain and tragedy after another. 
Right? Shmuel also knows. That he won't be there to save him. Right? Shaul, even if spiritually he's decrepit on the inside, he's, he's suffering, as we're going to talk about, he's still strong and vigorous and has the nation behind him. Right? He's the king. Right? And, so, and Shmuel is still, you know, in, in, he's in pain over what's about to happen. Right? His beloved Shaul is going to chase. Right? He, doesn't know, he doesn't know how to step down from the Malfoy, right? he's not. This is not going to be an easy transition. Right? This is going to be like you know, a baseball player who's still holding on, like a former star player who's like 47 years old, you know, like the last guy on the Mets bench. You know? I don't know, like Dave Winfield or something you know, when he was 64. I don't, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, like, like it was, it's time to move on, but it gets ugly at the end. You know? like it, it gets very ugly. Um, but that, you know, this, is, this is what it is. It's hard to say goodbye. Um, so it seems like, right, that like Shmuel, like Shmuel can handle what's about to come emotionally. And so he just like, he anoints David and he leaps. He does what God told him to do and no more. And he's like, I'm out. I can't, I can't see what is about to happen, what's about to play out in, painfully over the, slowly over the coming years. The two anointed ones of Hashem, first Shaul and then David, the terrible battle between them that's about to play out, right? And, and which he played such a huge role in, right? If you remember, you know, way back when Hannah, in her, in her prophecy, after she has Shmuel and she gives birth, where she has a prophecy and she, and she prophesizes that my son is going to anoint two kings, right? All the way from the beginning, it seems, right? This was his destiny and, and Shmuel dies in the midst of all of this, right? When, and none of, all of this is raw and painful and playing out before him and he dies in the midst of it. Right, he doesn't live to see the the conclusion of all this difficult this difficult period. So Vayakom Shmuel Vayelech Haramata. So Shmuel gets up and he leaves, um, and so you know Shaul's road to the Malchus is very, in a sense, simple, right? Shmuel helped him every step of the way. He guides him. He sits with him. He goes over everything. He explains to him how to be a king. Everything. By contrast, David gets no guidance from Shmuel, right? And he goes through one terrible situation after another on his way to becoming the Melech, right? The contrast is, is, is really, really stark. Right? So we'll, we'll see more of this in the future, but this is a hint, you know, to, to what the children of David will have to go through one day. But let's, let's turn to Shaul and his Ruach Ra'ah, right? His, his, the evil spirit that overcomes him. It's like a very unusual, weird thing. We, we don't usually read about evil spirits. What is this evil spirit that hits um, Shaul. So it says in, in number six, Hashem im Shaul. So the spirit of, of Hashem departed from Shaul. And an evil spirit from Hashem terrifies him. So this is something that he couldn't hide. Right? right? He goes, an evil spirit from Hashem is terrifying you. They, they, they see the difference, right? This happened very suddenly. Now, they didn't know that it was because David was getting anointed, you know, some miles away here in Ephrat, right? They didn't know that. Um, but they, they sensed something that had overcome Shaul. So, Yomar na So, what do they say, right? Let our Lord now command his servants, Yivakshu ish yodea minagain bakinur, to find somebody who can you play the harp beautifully. 
So when this evil spirit overcomes you, you can play, right, this, this person will play for you and you'll feel better. Fascinating, right? Really, really fascinating. Says the Malbim, right? Ruach Hashem Saras, Ruach Hashem, what caused this? So he says, Ruach Hashem huhit atzmut shefa haruchaniyut be'inyanaluki. Right? It's sort of like, it's this shefa of, of godliness that gets stronger and more intense that comes upon you. This is what's happening for David at this moment, right? It's all this like more, this, I don't even know how to explain this. I don't really know what it means, but it's, Hashem, it's godliness that's coming down from above and, and filling a person. This didn't happen to you, Rabbi? Yeah, well, you know, I'm... I'm up there on that, I'm, I'm on that sheet with all the big rabbis, you know, I just, uh, whatever, you know, okay. Comic relief. Uh, um, so he's filled with, you know, spirit of Chachma and Yeras Hashem. So even once, when, you, when this fills you, your body, right, is, is like invigorated as well. Um, because the body is the Mishkan, is the, is the dwelling place to kind of capture this, this unbelievable shefa, spiritual shefa that's coming down from above. So they, they saw something in, in, in his, Shaul's physical demeanor because now it's left him, right? So now that this shefa has left him because of his sin, so now all of a sudden your physical body is no longer holding all this unbelievable spiritual shefa, Right, so you feel this chisaron, and, and you're overwhelmed with terror, right, and frightened. Right, and because you have this emptiness now in you, where right, he was filled with terror, because he sensed that, his, that, that this life force that he had become accustomed to had just abandoned him. Kind of, kind of amazing. It makes me think a little bit about like, I don't know. Some of you are, gonna, are not going to be in, not into this, but I'm sure. But like those who are into the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and all of this, I think there's like a whole like a like a spirit comes into the king, you know, and he's like overtaken by it, and then it leaves him. You know, this is like the stuff. It made me think of sci-fi, like it's like or fantasy. It's like a wild. It's it's really wild that we're reading this in the Navi, um, but but it does t- it, it explains so much of what's to come uh, now. You know, trying to understand this, you know, I, I, I came across an amazing piece from Rav Meir Barilan about his father, the Nitziv. Right? This is really something. Um, Rav Meir Barilan was the, was the son, right? He changed his name to Barilan, right? And, and of course, the university is named for him because he basically built American Mizrahi, one of the most amazing religious Zionist figures of the 20th century. But he was, the, he was born, I mean, already, I think the Nitziv might have been in his 60s when he was born. He's the product of a second marriage. Um, after the Nitziv's first wife passed away. So he was, I think, 12 years old when his father passed away. Um, you know, very young. And his grandfather was still alive because his mother was so much younger. His grandfather was the Aruch HaSholchan, right? Just to talk about Yichus, you know. So his father is the Nitziv, his grandfather is the Aruch HaSholchan. Kind of unbelievable. But he's writing here about his memories of when his father, the Nitziv, uh, was in his final months as he was getting sicker and sicker. 
So he says, Ulam harami kol haya. The worst of it all was matzav rucho shal abba. It was my father's like spiritual state. His, his, right? He says, Yoter mishahayata shush bikufo. More than just that he was, you know, physically weak. He was sort of, he was get, get, having some sort of paralysis towards the end. But even worse than all that, he was depressed. You know, when you read about the Nitziv, you know, it's hard to imagine the Nitziv depressed. He was like that man with incredible stability and almost like the, with all, despite all the craziness around him, he always was very stable. He was the one who, he was the rock for everybody in Volusian and so on with all the ups and downs. He was so serene. He was able to hold it all together. Uh, everybody depended on him for that. And yet here at the end, he's a human being. And I, and I, I don't think it takes away from the Nitziv. I think it actually reminds us that these, that Gedolim are people too, right? Gedolim are people too. We should make that a new meme, right? Ha'ikar haya. He was so much in pain at the end because he felt he didn't have the strength anymore to really learn Torah well and to, and to, be, and to have chidushim in his learning. As he always did throughout his years. It had such an impact on him. His great, one of his great works with the Sheiltos, with his, he made a parish for the Sheiltos, like nobody else wrote a parish to the Sheiltos. Um, and he would hold it in front of him, and, and crying, he would say, then I wouldn't be able to write this now. I'm just not, I'm not the same person that I was. Sometimes he became even sadder. And he would, you know, he would uh, groan in front of his close friends. He didn't even understand the words that he had written originally. And, but when somebody would remind him that even now in his diminished state, he's still able to have some chidushim and people would come and ask him questions. It helped him a little bit, made him feel a little bit better. And sometimes he would, you know, he, he has a whole joke here that, you know, that like when he was younger, nobody like gave him any, any cred, right? But that's when he was really a genius. And then as he like became a Rosh Hashiva and had less time to learn, they made him out to be, you know, like a great gon, the gon a gadol, right? But I actually learned less when I was the gon, gon gadol. Now that I'm an old man and I've forgotten almost everything that I've learned, now they call me the, the Rabban Shalkopane Agola. Now I'm like the great, the rabbi of the whole diaspora and I, and I can't even understand anything I used to write. Chess grandmasters, they hit their peak around, what, 20 years old? Right, but when they, by the time they're famous, they're already on the way down. Okay, right. So, knew, like, how much I was diminished, right, you know, they wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be calling me that now, right? So, I mean, he goes on and on, and just the, the, the pain here, right, that he felt, his spiritual, he says, the Yisurim Ruchaniim, were, were worse than anything else that his father experienced. And, and to me, you know, I, I kind of, I, I just read this by, by chance as I was learning about Shaul and his Ruach Ra'ah, and I felt that it wasn't chance, that this is, you know, if this is what the Nitziv went through, imagine what, the, what Shaul went through when, when uh, really the Ruach Hashem, like the, the literal Ruach Hashem leaves his, leaves his body, leaves him, what that must have meant. You know, people say that it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. I'm not sure if that's the case here, right? I don't know. We'd have to ask Shaul, so maybe one day, you know, we'll, when one day we'll find out. But it's, uh, you know, but, and, and, but the pain that makes it worse is that Shaul knows. He doesn't know who has it, 
Maybe, maybe not yet, but he knows that somebody else is getting this instead of him. Because remember, remember what did Shmuel say to him? That Hashem is going to take away the malchus from you, but then he added the kicker, right? The dagger in the heart and give it to somebody better than you. So when Shaul is not a dummy, when this leaves him, he has to assume, right, in the back of his mind that this is going somewhere else. That there's, this is going to this, maybe to that person, whoever that person is. He doesn't know it yet. To the person who is better than him. Right? It's tov mecha. So what's, what's the fixing? Right? So his, his people say to him, the fixing is music. Is music. So how is music going to help this situation? So if we go back to the beginning, when Shaul was on his way up, back to chapter 10, what do we find? Acharkin, right? Tavo givata elokim. So Shmuel tells Shaul, when you leave me now, we just met, right? He gives him this whole problem. He tells him all these things that are going to happen to him. You're going to come, right, to Nitzivei Plishtim, right, where, where there's a whole uh, garrison of the Plishtim. When you come to that city, you're going to come across a band of prophets who are coming down from that high place. And they'll, have, they'll be playing all sorts of instruments. It's like a traveling band. The prophets were a traveling band. It's amazing. And they'll be prophesying. And then what's going to happen at that moment? Right, that's when Shaul had his initial moment when God infused him with this incredible Ruach Hashem. And then you and then since you'll be with them, right, he doesn't profit, he's not a prophet his whole you know, next few years. But at least at that moment when he's with the prophets, he not only gets the Ruach Hashem, he actually prophesizes with them. And you will become a different person. When he right, so it, meaning it makes sense. So now he loses at this moment, he's losing his Right, this, this Ruach Hashem that was within him and in which transformed him. So how do you get it back? Well, he got it the first time through music. So maybe now he can get it back perhaps in some way through music as well. Isn't that amazing? Right? Music is so critical to everything. Right? To, this, to this Ruach Hashem. Right? This, is, right, it, it, this memory, the most powerful memory, I would assume, one of the most powerful memories of Shaul's life had to have been that moment when he encounters, right, fulfilling what Shmuel prophesied, that this is going to happen, he encounters this group of prophets, and they're playing music. And as the music is playing, he senses himself being transformed into a different person. From that moment onwards, right, right music, right, could only have been, right, right, his most beautiful, fondest memory. Isn't that incredible? And so here, as he's in terrible pain, because that all left him, Right? His, his people know. I assume he talked to his people about what had happened, his servants. And they say, right, Hamelech, right? what's the way back? Right? It's through music. It can only be through music. Right? We find this elsewhere. This is like a, a Pasuk that's often quoted when we talk about any shear that anybody ever gives about the power of music. Right? We'll quote the following Pasuk in Melach and Bet. Ve'ata kechuli menagain ve'haya kenagain menagain ve'tehi alav yad Hashem. Right? When the Navi was having difficulty you know, connecting to prophecy because he was angry. And when you're angry, you can't, uh, you can't prophesize. So he says, bring me somebody to play music. And, so when, and once the music came, he was able to, he was able to connect to Hashem and to, and to prophesy. Right? That's when the, when the Yad Hashem came upon him. The power of music all the way back from when Sarah came. That's right. 
she settles, she settles Yaakov down, right? Enables him to hear, right? Already there, you can actually say, what did the music do? It enabled a person to understand on a deeper level, on a deeper level, right? To go to a deeper place, right? Yaakov needed to be in a different place in order to absorb, right? This news that was about to come to him, that the whole thing that he'd understood in one way really had to be understood entirely differently, right? Everything with Yosef and being missing and the disaster and the mourning and all of that, had to trans, right? He had to now see it. It, it. It's completely different. The whole thing, right? Becomes, that's what we're waiting for one day, right? That one day when we come to the final moment of Mashiach, right? Like the music will be playing and then we'll be able to look back and understand why all of those things happened. All the things that were such terrible tragedies and so on, right? We're gonna, we'll be able to look back and see it. That's the Ruach Hashem that we're looking for. Right, that, that we're all, that, that's what we pray for, that one day we'll be able to understand. That's the nechama, right? That we, why we had to go through that. When you understand why you have to go through something, right? Imagine if Yaakov had known at the beginning, right? That'll be separated from my son for 20 plus years, right? But it's all part of a process and, and it makes sense and this is why it has to happen, right? But remember, Hashem had left Yaakov during those 20 plus years out of his sadness. It's actually an amazing connection that you're making, right? How the Hashem, you know, leaving him and coming back to him, Right? And, and the sadness of it. And it also happens with, with Moshe Rabbeinu in, in the Midbar after the people sin, right? After, the, after Tishabav and, and the Chaita Maraglim, Hashem you know, turns away from the people and they have to wander for the next 38 years. And Hashem doesn't talk to Moshe for those 38 years. There's a blank spot, right? And then only at the end in Sefer, Sefer Devarim, Hashem comes back. Or at the end, of, I'm sorry, parts of Bamidbar also, right? At the very end, Hashem comes back, right? Now it's time to get ready to go to the land. Right? This coming and going of the Ruach Hashem is something uh, which, which people on this level feel in the, most de- in the deepest and most painful way. I don't know that we talk much about the suffering Moshe Rabbeinu probably experienced for those 38 years. Right? So the Gemara says, right? David Mizmor. Yeah, sorry. I'm just confused. I'm missing something maybe. Yeah, Person, somebody becomes Vayomar. Who's the Vayomar, not Vayomru? The more important issue of the end of the game is Vinor. Sounds like an allusion to the Vayomar. You're saying, wait, I'm sorry, just the bottom, trying to. Bottom of your second page. So the bottom of the first page. Of the first page, yeah. Yeah, the last post on the page. Yeah. Tetzai. So we're going to come to, we'll come to that. We'll come to that. But issue that's. Issue of the end of the game to the Kinor sounds like they're already hinting yes. that he's entering the picture. Exactly. So how they knew about David but didn't know that he was anointed is a whole big question, right? And who was it? Who is this person who's... That's something of the Yomar, the previous part of the Pesach is the Yomru. Right, yeah, so we'll see. So we're gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, all, it's, it's very interesting, yeah, no, this is interesting. It's very, you know, when you start looking at the Pesachim carefully, right? You just, you can't, this is why we're going so slowly, right? The, uh, we went fast with Shoftim, slower with, with uh, Shmuel and then Shaul, but now it's like a crawl with David Amelik. You don't want to miss one Pasuk, you know? I'm with you, I'm with you. So the Gemara says, right, on the, on the point of the music, Ladavid Mizmor, when it says Ladavid Mizmor in Tehillim, Melami Cheshartah Lav Shechina, Ve'achar Kachamar Shira, means that David was in a, in a high and holy place, right? The Shechina came upon him, and then he started singing because he was so overwhelmed by Hashem's presence. But when it says Mizmor Ladavid, Right? That's something different. That's a situation where David was feeling a little, was a little bit more disconnected. Right? Right? So Shira can be both the cause of, of, of prophecy or the cause, you know, the cause of, of, uh, you know, uh, of being close to Hashem, or it could be the result 
and could be the way that you express your incredible joy of being connected to Hashem. Right? So, lelamedcha, either way, Right, that the shechina doesn't dwell, you know, in a place of sadness and and you know, unhappiness and silliness and foolishness. It's got to be a place, a deep simcha shel mitzvah, and simcha shel mitzvah. It appears, right, is is tied together with with music. That is the simcha of mitzvah. Quoting the pasuk we just saw before, um, and this is you know I, th- I thought it was really just 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 so powerful. Uh, wh- one other piece here on this before we move on. Um, so talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. So it says Rav Meir Ibn Gabai says Lo hutzrach kol yamav alav shalom l'shum his orus mimine enigunim lahashros alav ruach nevuah. Moshe Rabbeinu was on such a level. We know he was different than all the other prophets that came after, anyone before or after, the love his closest to Hashem, that he didn't need music in order to bring him to such a place. Right? Right? It never left him. During that time that Hashem was with him, for those years that Hashem, was, that Hashem spoke to him. Right? Right, so this is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't, he was so connected. He, it was, you know, most people are, you know, Hashem's over there and we're down here. And in order to create that pipeline, you know, music is necessary to close the gap. There's no gap between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu. No gap at all. But Shar Nevi'im, the other prophets, right? Yitzarchu l'mini ha-nigun. They needed the nigun. La'orer aleim ha-ruach u'la'ashros aleim in order to arouse the spirit and to bring them to the proper um, psychological, emotional state to be able to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to have prophecy. Um, and this is, you know, quoting all the psukim that we're talking about as well. So I, I just really, really something. Outside of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? It was, it was, music was the, the path for all of the prophets. For, and I would assume for Shmuel as well, right? Because he's telling Shaul, go to those, the band of prophets who were his students, right? There were no, there were no prophets, until Shmuel came along, right? They had all disappeared. Everybody who was a prophet, they were all his students. Go to my students who are playing music. Obviously, Shmuel was a man of music. He was a levy, right? He was a man who was connected to music. He, he had played music, most likely, in the Mishkan, before the Mishkan was destroyed, right? That's the, right? And this is the closest we can get to the Mishkan, right? In a time we're in between the Mishkan and the Beis Mikdash right now, the closest we can get is through music itself. But there's another aspect to, to David HaMelech that's in this parak that we need to understand as well. Right? Number 14. Right? Right? Bring me somebody who can play. Right? Bring him to me. So then Now one of the Ne'arim and, and Chazal tell us that this uh, Na'ar is not a well-meaning servant of Shaul HaMelech but rather the man who's going to be it'll become clear is the, the, the most evil and terrible, you know, like serpent type of servant to Shaul HaMelech, right? Who is Doeg HaEdomi, right? He's like the, one of the great villains that comes up all throughout um, the Gemara. Whenever it talks about Shaul, David, right? It's always, Doeg HaEdomi, anytime anything bad happens, they insert Doeg HaEdomi in there. It must have been him, right? He's the, guy, he's the evil one. And what does he say? Oh, I know about a certain son of, right, of Yishai. 
right, who, who knows how to play, and he's also, he knows how to play music. Now, it should have stopped there, right? But then he goes on, and he says he's a gibor, chayil, a mighty man of valor. Really? What has he done? <laughs> how do you know that? Right? Ve'ish milchama, nevon davar, a man of war. I mean, all these things are true in the future, but they haven't happened yet. Ve'ish to'ar, oh, and he's really good looking too, right? Just, you know, just in case you weren't feeling bad enough about yourself, Shaul, right? King Shaul, this guy's younger than you and better than you and better looking than you, and he plays a good guitar, right? And we all know that the women love the guitar, right? I, I, when I was learning how to write, it's true. When I was, I, I, I'm saying this recorded, but when I took guitar lessons as a kid, I, I, like, I, I remember like in Muncie, New York, like we went to this guy who looked, he was like, I don't know, he was like a creepy looking guy who taught me guitar. And remember he taught me, there's like his one life lesson that he taught me. He said, you can look like death, but if you play guitar, the ladies will love you. That was like the main, te- the only thing I remember from him, other than a few chords that I got. And this guy looked like death. I was like, uh, he really did. I mean, he was like talking about himself. Um, anyway, right? So he, what, what is he doing here, right? He's making Shaul, right, incredibly, incredibly jealous. It's almost as if um, he understood who David was. And, you know, the last... The Somehow he had words, a... Right. But Hashem Imal. Hashem was with him. It's yeah. like... So maybe he had this... Somebody told him. or some, someone told him. Exactly. And, it's a, it's uh, a card to imagine how else could, could this puzzle come about. It's very... The Meforsham spend a lot of time on it, right? Even though it seems like we're going really in-depth, we're doing one tiny little drop in the ocean of the... The Meforsham spend a lot of time on that puzzle. So a lot about, uh, you know, how is it that Doeg would have known this? And why did he say this? And was he already... He was already... What was he trying to do? Why was he anti-David at this point? Because he's creating jealousy already at the beginning. We don't really, it's, it's hard to understand. He's a bad apple, so he's always looking out for himself, whether it's against David or against... Yes, exactly, exactly. He's that, he's that caricature that we find in all the movies about the guy who's around the king who's like creepy and bad and doing bad things and, you know, exactly. He's always out for himself. But the next pasuk is critical as well. So Shaul listens and he sends messengers to Yishai. He says, David asher batzon. Send me your son who's hanging out with the sheep. David, David the shepherd. Right? And so Yishai does that. He, he, you know, he sends uh, David with a bunch of, with some food, you know, on a donkey. And he sends him to Shaul. What are you going to do? The king wants him. And David comes to Shaul. How does he know he's with the sheep? It's a good question, right? How does he know? Right? How does he know? These are good. It seems, right? Somebody told him. He probably, maybe what's missing between the lines he said, okay, find out, find out a little bit about this, this guy. Who is this guy, right? Because this is not just a guy that's going to be part of the king's band. This is the guy who's supposed to come to fill the hole in Shaul's soul and in his heart, right? In his whole self. This is not a small moment for, for Shaul. He's, got to, he's looking for the right man, for the right guy. Um, Maybe he's minimizing David by calling him a shepherd. It could be as well. A hundred percent, certainly could be. Very good point. Sorry. I can't remember. Shaul was a shepherd also. Well, last we saw Shaul, he was at the beginning. We saw him chasing donkeys. We're not really sure. He's not really described much as a shepherd. Um, you know, but David, but David is right. So David comes, and he, and and by the way, this is a significant, right? right? He loves him. A lot, right? People tend to have strong emotions when it comes to David HaMelech, as we'll see. A lot of love, a lot of hate, a lot of jealousy. He's very, he inspires a lot of emotion. And, and I'm really not intending to make the, to, you know, 
Lahavdil, Lahavdil, Lahavdil. But it's sort of like Bibi, right? Like people are like, Bibi Melech Israel, or Bibi is destroying Israel, right? It's like one or the other, right? Nobody's like neutral on Bibi, right? So there's, there's it's, but David is even much, much more so, as we'll see. The intensity, the emotion, you know, everything with the women, like it's just, it's so intense when it comes to David, uh, as we'll see. So, um, and then he says, right, let me, he said, Shaul sends to Yishai, let me keep this boy, right? Let me keep him here. Um, and that, right? So there's Right. So, so this is getting rid of the depression. It's not returning Ruach Hashem. Exactly. It's filling in the gap without bringing him, right? It's kind of like a papering over, right? It's not an actual solution because ultimately when, when the music stops, right, the hole is there, right? So it, it's not, you're right. It doesn't actually solve the problem, but it's like a, it's a salve, right? It's a Band-Aid. But, but never, though, sometimes we need Band-Aids, right? I'm joking around, so it's kind of like an SSRI. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's not the actual thing. Depending on who you ask. But it's the closest he can get at this. Yeah. Right. This is all Shaul can get at this point. But we see that David is a shepherd. Right. And, we, and, and just look at it quickly through the next week. So Kim, right. We find that uh, right when Shmuel went to find who was going to be the next king. Right. So Yishai says, There's another small one. He's shepherding the sheep. Another reference to David as the shepherd. Um, in the next paragraph, this comes up, we'll get to this later. Right? I was just a, you know, I, I was a shepherd. I was a shepherd for my father's sheep, right? And then he, and he we'll get to this when we talked about, about Goliath. Um, and he, talk, cause he, he talks here about how he saved sheep from the, from the lions and from the bears, right? And he went after and he killed these animals that were, dam- that were threatening his sheep. And then number 17, um, in Shmuel, better ready. Hashem sends a message to David. I took you from the sheep coat. I took you from following the sheep. To be a prince over my people, over Israel. Right? That's probably the most significant source. That Hashem himself is saying, I took you from being a shepherd to being the king. Right? Drawing an important line, a connection between the two. All right, no small thing here. So shepherding is not something that David simply does to take care of his father's property. It's a, it's a key part of his development as a person. It's, it's part of his identity. He is a ro'et zone. It's who he is. Rashi, Hashem Esher Hitzilani Miyadari. Right, he talks about when, he, when, he's, when he's talking to Shaul later on with Goliath. Hashem saved me from the lion. When this moment was happening, Right? When, when uh, you know, a lion comes and I'm saving, you know, I'm ripping a lion apart into pieces to save the sheep, right? I know that this was, not, this was not Stam a moment in shepherding. I know that my experience as a shepherd is coming to prepare me for this moment to fight Goliath. David himself understands that being a shepherd was essential to who he was. Israel. <laughs> That, I was, that this is preparing me to save Am Yisrael, right? It's, a, it's, it's kind of like Moshe, right? 
Right? Yeah. Lion yes. The can exactly. Right? So and that's. That's exactly. That's exactly. It's actually the next source. Um, right. Right. David is saying, like, as a young man, I understood that shepherding my father's sheep that this was preparing me for something far greater. Right now, we might view shepherding as a simple job. Right? How hard is it really? You're kind of outside hanging out while the sheep are, are eating. Um, you know, and you try to make sure they don't die. Right? Like, I don't know. What else do you do as a shepherd? Or run away. Um, but, but the truth is, right, or run away. Right? Caring properly for a flock of sheep, it demands a certain kind of real-world wisdom. So we find in the Zohar, right? Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe and David are tied together. Right, so we find, so it says Rabbi Yossi, that whenever a, a shepherd is a great chacham and really knows how to guide and to lead his sheep, he's prepared to accept upon himself the Omal Chushamayim, the yoke of heaven for something far greater. And Rabbi Yehuda says, Moshe chacham haya ubakilin hogetzono. Moshe was a chacham. Again, it requires real chachma to be a, to, to be a shepherd. We have to, you know, be a little less arrogant the way we look at, you know, people who are doing these kinds of jobs. It's not a simple thing. Come and learn from David. Because he, would, he followed halacha, which is not easy with sheep to follow halacha. Meaning he took them out to places that were not owned by people. Right? How do you, you, know, you have a lot of sheep. Make sure that not one of them is going into the wrong place. That's not a simple thing. Uh, and so for this reason, the that was his, you know, that, that's what, what made him worthy of becoming king. Sort of like, uh, what's his name, the, uh, the, the transportation guy in America now? Right? You know what I'm talking about. Buttigieg. Yeah, Pete Buttigieg, right? He was the, the mayor of a small town, right? That makes him, you know, he wanted to be president, right? That's what he needed, right, to become president. I guess not, it wasn't enough. Right? It didn't get him where he needed to go. But what do you have to do? What are the, you know, what are the steps? You know, generally, you think in America it's to be a governor, right? Because then you're actually running a big state, right? That's why uh, DeSantis is such a favorite, right? No, you've got to be a shepherd, that's you should spend your summers, have, take your kids out and let them go shepherd around Shiloh somewhere, right? That, that's, that's the way to greatness. There's many times in, in Tefillah where Hashem is the shepherd and we're his sheep. So it's, it's not a something. Not a something. And, and as we talked about, we talked about what is the purpose of a king, right? A king is meant to be Hashem's representative on this earth. So if Hashem is the shepherd, well then... You know, the king is meant to be the shepherd as well, right? To, to follow in Hashem's path. Um, right? This is not just work, it's chachma, right? Makes it explicit, says the Ramban. Moshe and David, each of them had this very similar up, you know, uh, training. Right? A big part of a king's job is to, right, not just a navi, right? A king has to make sure that people have food to eat, right? And that's a big part of being a shepherd, to make sure that even if it hasn't rained in a while, and there's not, you know, it's not, not so much grass, not so simple, not so easy, right? So the, the wilderness um, was a hard place. It was a place of hefker. You had shepherds, but you also had criminals. And there were no clear laws that guided the situation, right? Their job, the, the shepherd's job was to make sure the animals got the food that they needed, that they remained safe from the elements, from wild animals, and that they do so all within halacha. Right? And, and shepherding in the wilderness was the perfect place to learn how to be a leader. Right? It's, it, it's the, before there was the, uh, the Kennedy School of Government, right? you, had, you, had, you had shepherding. That, that's how you became a leader. 
That's how he became a leader. 21. This is Tehillim. And he chose David, his servant. And he took him from the sheepfolds. Right? And from there, he takes him to be a shepherd over Jacob's people. I mean, this is about as explicit as can be. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he led them by the skillfulness of his hands. Um, says the Shmos Rabbah, I know we're running out of time, that you know, Hashem you know, was testing David as well to see if he's going to be the person who can handle this. What does it mean that he took him out, that was the Pasuk in, uh, in 21 from Tehillim. What does that mean? What is a michla otzon? Right, translate them as sheepfolds. But says that Rabbi Yoshua Cohen, right, in Shmos Rabbah, what is Michlaot? That it's Shahayat David Kolei uh, Etatzon, meaning from the language of imprisonment. Right, he, he, would, he divided the sheep up, each one according to their age. And their, you, know, you had the old sheep, you had the baby sheep, you had the young, vigorous sheep. And they all got what they needed. Right, the, you know, the, 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 the young sheep got the, the easiest, you know, the most delicious and lush grass. And then the you know, the older one, the old ones came next and they got the middle tier grass and the young strong ones got the toughest grass, each one according to exactly what they need. Skipping through, because I know we don't have so much time. So number 23. I found this one very, very meaningful. Hashem does not give gedula to people until he tests them in smaller things. Smaller things, right? I think about our lives all the time. And I think, it doesn't, here it's not talking about just David or just Moshe. Okay, we, we're not, not going to be David. We're not going to be, I don't know, I'm not going to be David. I'm a lady, so, right? Definitely not. So, but, but it says to all people, right? We all can achieve our gedula, but who knows, right? That there's certain experiences in our lives, at the moment we think that they are, this is it, this is the big moment. But really, really, that was all just a preparation for something much greater down the road. Right? I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu was, was 80 years old when his big mission started. Right? Avram Avinu, we only meet him when he's 75. Right? And he had a whole life beforehand which was filled with pretty unbelievable things. Right? If we take what Chazal say about Avram Avinu, an unbelievable life, incredible, incredible things. But all of it really was just a preparation for what came when he was an old man. It's, hard, it's kind of hard to, it's, it's unbelievable, right? Hard to wrap your head around. But this was, you know, this was, so David knew, right, that shepherding the sheep was really a, a key to something more. He sensed that. I think maybe it's a little bit harder for us, right? We're not necessarily shepherding, but we have to think about our lives, you know, what was preparing us. But isn't that like, because I'll say that, like, this, this world is just a, like a tunnel to the next world. Like, we're all, like, in the corridor, just waiting for the next world. So we're all kind of also in that stage of, like, preparation for what's to come. Like just, it's true. This is just almost like... But I, I, so I'm a believer that, that Olam Haba is not something we're supposed to think about so much, uh, right? It's not in Tanakh, right? I mean, the Ramchal talks about it, but then even then he says later on that if you're on a higher level, you don't think about Olam Haba. You think about Geula. You think about our mission in this world. Olam Haba is for the weak-minded, right? As I like, like, I'd like to say, unless you've like molested children, you're probably okay. You'll have an Olam Haba. Don't worry about it, right? We all sin... Hashem, you know, we do tshuva on Yom Kippur. Shambu, forgive us. Our job here is to bring God's glory down to the world. That's what we're here to do. And that's what David HaMelech's life mission is, to bring Hashem's glory down to the world, right? And, and all of us, in our smaller way, each one of us is meant to do that. And, and I, you know, I think, like, I, I, I think back, right? And, you know, how did I learn to write? It's like I was fortunate. I had this job, I had that job. At the moment, at the time, I thought those jobs were really significant. 
Looking back, I'm not really sure how much of a difference I made at some of those jobs, but they did give me certain skills that I need to do certain things now, right? We can think, you know, it's good to look back at one's life and to be able to see Hashem a little bit, right? To chart Hashem in our own lives. It's, it's important for our amuna, for our faith, for our bitachon, to see how Hashem is preparing us for, for, for moments in our lives. I think, I think that's something to take from this whole fascinating, you know, this, to me, the fascinating discussion of, of, of David HaMelech. Uh, but I know, I know we're really late. So I just, uh, let's just, let's just finish up because there's one, you know, th- th- there's another piece here. Um, in number 25, right? Shepherding brings other benefits as well. This is a kliyakar that I, I found 20 plus years ago. I never forgot this kliyakar. I thought this was so fascinating. Right? Right? That we're told that Moshe Rabbeinu is a prophet, I'm sorry, is a, is a shepherd, because most prophets were shepherds. Right? To be a prophet, you need to be alone, right? To talk to Hashem. To be able to look up at the sky, to not look at your phone, right? To not be busy with people and all the busyness of day-to-day life, right? Shepherding is a unique job. It's very lonely, right? It's, it's like a man and his sheep for days and weeks and weeks. Are women, women and their sheep, right? We have women shepherds too. Go to a root goat farm, right? There's both, right? You're, you're off alone with your sheep for, for days and days at a time. And, and, and you see things and you, can, and you can connect Hashem in a way that others can't. All your thoughts are about how, you know, the existence of Hashem, looking up at that powerful sky at night. Until that arouses the Ruach Hashem to come down to you from above. Right? There are practical ways to become a Navi. Right? And sitting in front of a computer screen and, you know, and, and social media is probably not, not one of those ways. Right? When you're sitting in your house, you're busy out and, you know, in the field doing other things. Right? It, it, you don't get the same experience. The ro'eh is Yoshev Panui Barova's money. He's sitting alone, thinking all throughout his life. It's a, it's, it's a formative, you know, spiritual experience, not just a leadership experience, but it's a formative spiritual experience that David Melech gets, right? And that prepares him in this way. So I'm not going to go through, you know, through all of this, but in, in 28, we find that Yechezkel says, Ani soni ani Hashem elokim. I will feed my sheep, I'll cause them to lie, to lie down. There's a prophecy for the future redemption, right? Skipping ahead to 22, and I'll save my flock, says Hashem. Right, there'll be no more prey. I'll, I'll judge between one seh, one sheep and another. And I will set upon us, says Hashem, I'm going to set upon you, the people of Israel, a shepherd. And he shall feed them, even my servant David. This is who we're waiting for. The descendant of David HaMelech, right? The next shepherd to come, Right? And to save us. This is, the, this is the prophecy of Yechezkel. And now we understand why. We're looking for someone who's not of the ruach of our time. Somebody who's different than the average person in our time. We're so busy and we can't connect and we're scattered and distracted. We're waiting for, for David Amelech's great-great-grandson to come right? and, and to bring us back home. So with that, we'll stop. It's already Marif time. But uh, God willing, looking forward to the next two weeks, we're going to do a deep dive. Deep dive into David and Goliath. Sure.